This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Bateman, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast, available on all your platforms and anxietycanada.com. My guest today is Shane Coison, a Canadian spoken word poet, writer. He's known for writing about issues like bullying, cancer, death, and eating disorders. Shane, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That's great. Um, so we do the, with this podcast, uh, it's called Our Anxiety Story. So first question is, Shane, what's your anxiety story? Uh, <laughs> well, let's see. I guess that's one of the more interesting facets of stories is that they function on a on a formula. You know, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. I guess for me with anxiety, it just sort of keeps evolving chapter after chapter, and there doesn't seem to be an end. So it's always one thing after the other. And so, you know, if you're talking about, you know, when I was a kid, obviously bullying like you know and then growing up and wondering what are you going to do for a living everybody's trying to talk you out of going to the the arts to to the more you know sort of like grown-up things that you go through like losing people and then losing you know your your source of you know livelihood you know with covid everything in the arts is kind of shut down and I don't know when that's coming back. We just had to cancel all of our shows till 2022. And so I'm just kind of sitting here. Like, I mean, I'm writing, I'm being productive, but I'm really anxious about, you know, what I'm going to do to keep sort of going. Yeah. It's your, it's your bread and butter, I guess that is. Um, Yeah. Well, not only that, but it serves to sort of, you know, put a salve or a balm on a lot of the things that I go through that come from anxiety. The state right. is really a way to sort of deal with a lot of those problems for me. Emotionally, I'm able to put them out. And it, it kind of like, you know, in dealing with an audience, you're sharing with so many other people who are then realizing, well, I'm not the only person going through this. And it, it alleviates some of that anxiety because you're, you're sharing it. And it's, it's sort of spread out a bunch of, a, amongst a bunch of different people who are sharing back with you and telling you you're not alone in this either. And that's always a good reminder to have because when you're in a depression or, or going through sort of anxiety, the tendency is to feel that it's all on you. You're the only person dealing with this. You're the only person struggling with this. And it's been a pretty bleak couple of years um, mm-hmm. dealing not just with the anxiety, but with, you know, losing people. And so I've yeah. been in quite a state um, and missing the stage has definitely sort of made me tumble down that depression rabbit hole a bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm in a similar business in terms of advocacy and what you do with your work is, is inherently you advocate for mental health. Um, so it, the, one of the kind of interesting, if I can call it a benefit about this pandemic is that it's really brought a lot of mental health issues to the fore. Uh, are you finding that too within your circles? Um, yes and no. Like, I mean, some people are retreating into themselves and mm-hmm. that's, you know, I, I go, I tend to go through that as well. I'm, I'm very much an introvert, which, 
you know, makes this sound like heaven. I can just stay at home and not deal with anybody else. But, you know, it's a give and take on both sides, whether you're extroverted or introverted. You need those moments to yourself if you're an extrovert. And if you're an introvert, you need moments of community um, and sort of just existing in this sort of, I guess, a kind of a limbo with all of it right now. There are people, there are friends of mine who are, you know, they're really starting to shine in this moment. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are really starting to sort of fall back from, from, you know, the, you know, the king of the hill that they were on uh, before. Let's, let's double back quickly because you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, anxiety from a young age. Um, When did you first, you know, when did you first realize you had anxiety or when did you first identify anxiety? Because a lot of people don't really know what it is when it hits them. Um, Yeah. Like, I mean, for me, it's sort of, you know, it spawned out of fear. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I began to associate things with fear, with my own fear. Um, Like the season's changing, you know, Mm -hmm. spring was great because it meant summer was coming up and I didn't have to deal with anybody. I wouldn't have to see anybody from school, but the moment autumn hit, you knew that you were heading right back into this thing. And so it becomes a sort of like a, a kind of a barometer and, you know, like, I mean, your spider sense is tingling that you know that you're going to have to deal with this situation. And once that fear hits, that anxiety starts to, you know, rev up. Um, In a lot of cases, you know, anxiety is just, you having conspiracy theories about yourself, you know, you're worried about yourself, your, your self-preservation. And so for me going through school, I had this weird sort of, I don't want to say it was a gift or anything like that. It certainly Mm -hmm. wasn't, but this sort of, you know, a sense in your periphery that develops of, you can just sort of tell when somebody intends to harm you. Mm-hmm. And, and it just sort of triggers you in a lot of ways. Sounds as well. I ever, you know, I get asked a lot of times to go into schools and, you know, teach workshops or do performances and things like that. I have a really hard time going into schools. Yeah, just sound like locker slamming and things like that. There's, you know, sort of, I don't want to call it PTSD, but there's definitely something there that, you know, triggers a lot in me from my past and, it's a very uncomfortable place for me to return to. Yeah, it's interesting that you that you you know the place that yeah that you're uncomfortable. You you're going in to kind of help people deal with it and, and help people yeah deal deal with the exact same issues that you went through in high school. Yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> you know it's quite a as Bob Dylan would say you know a simple twist of fate I guess. Hmm. Hmm. Um, what did you? What was your response? I mean, you know you you were bullied. Um, you had anxiety. Was your response to like, were you into in school then out? Like, did you isolate? How did you respond to what you're feeling? Yeah. I think it's what drove a lot of, you know, sort of me becoming an introvert as just realizing that, okay, if you, if you don't have friends, you're going to have to find ways to sort of pass your own time. If you, you know, if you, if you can't see the light, you have to generate your own. And so it just sort of cemented that sort of inward quality that I find where, you know, instead of being more extroverted, which I think is what everybody expects when they meet me mm-hmm. um, because I live my life on stage and because I do the things that I do. Um, but yeah, I think 
growing up and, and being bullied, it, it makes you smaller. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it makes you sort of go into your own shell. I don't want to, you know, liken it to being like a turtle, but you, you learn to sort of protect yourself. And in that way, while you're building, you know, that wall that you think is protecting you, you're also, you know, trapping yourself inside of it. Mm-hmm. You're not allowing yourself to occupy more space. Yeah, of course. Was your so was was the bullying? Was it right across the board? Was it you know physical, verbal, emotional? Oh, was it yeah. all of those? <laughs> all all of those. Yeah, and you know from the little things that I'm sure people thought were you know harmless, mm-hmm. um, just little snide comments or whatever, but they all pile up. And you you know the, the more you hear something, the more you tend to you know you kind of start to believe it. You know, it becomes that record on repeat, that one that keeps skipping over the same line or the same couple of bars. And you, you start to internalize all of that as well. And it, and it weighs on you and it eats away at you and it makes you doubt yourself. And being, being at a young age, being at an impressionable age and, and learning to doubt yourself, it puts you in a weird position of, well, then if somebody comes along and wants to talk you out of something, it's very easy for them to do because mm-hmm. all they have to do is plant those seeds of doubt. Like growing mm-hmm. up through school, I remember it, for guidance counselors, it's, it's a pretty tricky path to walk because if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a police officer or, or any of one of those careers, there's a, there's a clear path for that. You know, there's, here are the courses you want to take. These are the grades you'll need. These are the schools you want to go to. If you want to be an artist, you know, there's no, there's no clear path for that. And so guidance counselors, the ones that I grew up with anyways, were very sort of intent on delivering me away from what I wanted to do and just sort of delivering me into that cookie cutter form of like, well, here's where you can fit in society. These are the things you can do. So as much as, you know, on the one hand, you've got, you know, your teachers and people telling you, you can be anything, you can do anything, you go to school where you want to become those things. And all of a sudden somebody's saying, oh, you don't want to do that. You like, I mean, you'll starve to death. You you hear all the sort of typical cliches that come along with it. And so I think at a certain point for me, I needed to break away from that, that cycle of like, I can't just keep listening to the people who think they know Mm -hmm. Um, because they, that's all they do is they think they know they don't actually know. You know, and so I got to try this for myself. And that came with a great deal of fear and trepidation itself. But I had to break out of that cycle of letting people plant seeds of doubt in me. Yeah, I had to do the same thing, too. When I was younger um, in high school, the you know, it was like doctor, lawyer, business, finance, whatever. Um, And trades were not even were never mentioned. And, you know, I am by profession a woodworker now. And uh, trades make good money. Um, trades are very important. And, and it wasn't even mentioned, Let like arts, forget about it. Um, right. You know, so what, when did you discover writing, you know, a, as a means sort of for, for helping you out, but also, you know, that you had a shot at, at, at you know, you're at making a living doing this. Um, 
the shot at making a living with it came much, much later, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but in terms of getting started with writing, it was kind of my outlet, you know, I remember coming home from school one day and, you know, my grandmother being very concerned because I was very depressed. I'd come home crying and, you know, she's why, why are you so upset? And, you know, I told her, I don't have anyone to talk to. I don't have any friends. Everybody hates me. Everybody, you know, picks on me. And she came back in two minutes, like, and handed me a notebook. And she said, you talk to this, you know, and you can tell it anything. And it's never going to judge you based on what you look like or what kind of clothes you wear. You know, it'll just listen. And that's really how I got started was, you know, just this sort of weird journal keeping um, at, and it started off like, I mean, it was dark, but it was also very funny. Right. So, you know, when I, when I read through those things now, I'm, I look back and it's like, I could see where, you know, like, I mean, all that sort of, all that sort of anger and angst and, and things were coming from, but it was also tempered with this weird sort of like, well, that's life, you know, sort of like spin on things. And I think that gave me a bit more, like, I mean, while I didn't, I wasn't at the age where I was sharing that stuff that didn't come until much later. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically until after high school, when I got into university and I think that, you know, that transition when I finally ended up in university and had to hand in my writing for, you know, my writing course, um, it was then being judged by this, you know, sort of circular table of my fellow peers. And I don't think it was until that moment that I realized, whoa, you know, like, I mean, the things, the things I have to say that I haven't been telling anybody are actually being heard and listened to and felt in this in this very small community and that helped me to branch out and think that you know maybe i can reach more people maybe there's more i can do with this you know did Um, did your did your writing you know when you had it to yourself and then you went into university and started you know other people started seeing it um did it evolve or did you curtail it in the beginning were you giving them sort of the the genuine article or did you change it a little bit when you first started doing that there were a couple times where we were allowed to submit anonymously like it wouldn't be our name on the paper no one in the class would know who wrote it mm. you know so you could you could you could be a little bit more free in that mm. regard you could you could be a little more fearless and so there are times that I certainly did that and once I realized that you know what I'm submitting um as anonymous is, is being, you know, felt and received in, in, <laughs> sorry, I'm struggling for words here. And I'm That's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm feeling very anxious right now. Uh, <laughs> so am I, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I, I think once I realized that, you know, anonymously people were looking at my work and, and really taking it to heart, that's when I felt more comfortable in, in letting them know, okay, well, this is me. Um, and, and, you know, like for, for all the sort of, you know, trepidation and qualms I had with, you know, revealing that part of myself, I think ultimately it would, it's what helped me shed a lot of my anxiety and fear about it. Right. Yeah. What was this? Because I, you know, as part of what I do, I also do, you know, stage work and MC and I'll do all kinds of stuff like that. And, uh, 
I have anxiety and, you know, I have depression. That's kind of something I'll have for the rest of my life. Uh, radical acceptance is something I'm working on. But um, so going from the classroom and then taking that step, you know, you're self-proclaimed introvert, um, taking that step to the stage. Uh, how do you navigate through that, you know, being an inherently anxious person? Um, it, it basically, it's kind of like walking off that plank and, you know, it, not that there's necessarily sharks in the water, but you don't know what's down there. Mm. And, you know, when you're in that position, you can do one of two things. You can, you can fall or you can dive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's just a very slight difference between the two. But for me, I guess I pro I chose to dive in. Um, and that's really what opened my world up. And, you know, things started to snowball from there. Once I moved to Vancouver and started to get involved in the, you know, the poetry slam scene and found community there, you know, you start to find, you know, people of like mind and people that care about you. And for the longest time, it didn't have any of those things. If you grow up without the sort of, you know, the correct social utilities in, in high school, or if you're cut off and you, you're called a loser, you don't develop those skills. You know, it takes you a long time to realize how to just talk to people, how to conversate with them. And for me, it took a long time to sort of develop that ability. Whereas with writing, I could nail my thoughts down to a page. I could nail my feelings onto a page and know that this is exactly what I want to say. This is exactly how I want it to sort of be put out into the world. In conversation, it felt much more gargantuan in that you know the pressure was on me to in this moment i have to be perfect i have to be mm -hmm. what i can do on stage i have to you know i can't say the wrong thing and that made me really nervous and really anxious and so it took a long time to get into that mode yeah i guess there's something i mean you have you i've seen you um you you have you know you have this you know, you have it written down, um, you're reading or you have it memorized. So you have that control. But, you know, where you, when you're thrust into a social situation and somebody like you who ultimately will be thrust into social situations, I guess you're it's more spontaneous. Or you, you know, do you feel like you have not as much control within that? And that might cause you some some anxiety as well. Yeah, because you never know what people are going to say to you, mm -hmm. you know, be it complimentary or otherwise, you know, even mm -hmm. as much as you dread the people who are going to say nasty, mean things because of your body size or, you know, the way you look or whatever. There's just as much anxiety in, in getting a compliment for someone because now you're in a position where like, Oh my God, like, how do I pay this back? And is thank you enough? And, you know, you start to consider all those things and it worms your way into its head. It's like, is what I'm doing enough in this situation? You know, one of the hardest parts of what I do isn't actually, the writing or the performing or the show itself. It, it's what comes after the show when you're out, you know, signing books for people or CDs or, or whatever it is. And, and you, you meet people face to face because in my shows, like, I mean, I think when people come to my shows, they're surprised how funny they are, but mm -hmm. they, they I, really are. Yeah. I use levity to take us out of dark situations. The shows themselves deal with a lot of dark, topics um, mm. that we all kind of go through. And at the end of a show, I feel very responsible to 
make sure people are okay because I've seen it go the other way. You know, I've, I've seen people hurt themselves. I've gotten letters from kids who they're just at the end of their particular ledge. Um, And so those kinds of things weigh on you. I think much more than, Oh my God, are they going to clap? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. at a certain point you, you start to, you, you just start to wonder about the endings of, other people's lives did they continue did they go on because some of them just become nebulous conversations like i mean you you can start an email conversation with a kid who's going through something and i'm not a therapist all i'm armed with are the numbers Mm -hmm. here are the numbers here are the people you can talk to Mm -hmm. i'm not the right person to talk to about this and that in itself is hard because it feels like you're you're passing the buck you know that's not what you want to do I feel a lot of responsibility around these people. And so sometimes it works out well. And sometimes you send a message and you get nothing back and you're just left to wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess, you know, how, I guess you have to, or how do you compartmentalize that? Um, Because, you know, I I find when I open up to people and for years, well, for quite a few years now, I've been opening up to people about my mental health challenges. And I find that they're, most people, it's one degree of separation. It's either them or, or somebody they know who has the same kind of thing going on. And um, then they really open up and, and, you know, yeah. How do you, how do you compartmentalize that? How do you, you know, deal with the not knowing? Because for me, not knowing is a trigger for anxiety. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And a, a long time ago, I wrote a piece called graffiti and it, it came from this experience I had it was in Chicago. It was in Chicago or New York, but um, I love going out and looking at uh, street art. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in the UK, like I've, I've tracked down all of Banksy's works and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those are the places I go to. I like taking pictures of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was in Chicago or New York and we, a friend took me to this one place and it was just filled with graffiti. And there was this one piece in particular, the colors, the the way it looked was just amazing, but I couldn't, tell what it said like, I couldn't make out like I mean it was script but I didn't know what it was saying or maybe I wasn't meant to I don't know but it set off this sort of anxious trigger inside of me until I realized you know what I don't need to know yeah I can, I can leave this behind and just appreciate it for the color and the design I can appreciate it for you know how beautiful I think it is Mm-hmm. And I can and I can walk away from it, but harder to do when people are involved. You know, it's like it's easy to walk away from a wall, but people we're all moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, Shane, you mentioned earlier uh, talking about death, and I've lost friends, people to suicide, um, and, and dealt with that kind of grief. Um, how do you how do you go about dealing with with grief on that level? Uh, I don't think there's going to be a boxed up answer that's going to help mm-hmm. anyone in this situation because mm-hmm. we go through it at, in different ways and we, we travel through it at different paces as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are friends of mine who are, you know, they don't get it and they're like, hurry up and get over it. Yeah. And they, they just don't understand because either they haven't experienced something like that yet 
mm-hmm. or they have experienced something like that yet. And they were able to just sort of, you know, put it behind them and, and move on. But uh, it's hard because, you know, the, the depth of the pain you feel is just equal to how much you loved someone. So yeah. if you loved someone with all your heart, you know, with, with everything you had, that's how much you're going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and some people don't understand that. Um, or some, for some people, it's hard to get. I've seen people weep more over losing their cat than they did about losing a parent, yeah. which to me is completely lopsided. But I don't know what their relationship was like with their parent. Yeah. I've seen them be around their cat and their cat gave them, you know, that comfort or that relief that they needed, you know? So it's not for me to judge how somebody deals with what they're going through for a particular person, because I don't know what their life was together. Yeah. Um, And so I get really prickly around people who, who judge people or who are grieving. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, at the same time, I I was like, I, no matter what, I would never wish what they're going through on you, Mm -hmm. you know? And it, and it just, it's hard because you see people wanting to just sort of speed up the process. And I think that's where people sort of get robbed of actually going through the process. You know, they, they need to get over it so they can go back to work and be more productive or, or whatever it is, or they, you know, a friend just needs their best friend back. Like, come on, let's go. And, but it's, it's hard. And everybody, like I said, travels through it at their own pace. And I just think, I guess I hope that people gain more perspective on, on what it is people. I think perspective is the key to empathy. I think yeah. it's, it's part of how we're able to look and see, not, not look and see and feel, but, or, or yeah, exactly. Feel what other people are feeling. You know, it's that it's <laughs> one of the first movies I ever saw. My grandmother took me to see it and it was quite an event uh, very early on in my life was ET. And there's this yeah. part in the film where the brother is trying to explain to the scientists, like there's sort of psychic connection or whatever. It's like, Oh, E.T. thinks his thoughts and the brother then corrects him. It's like, no, E.T. feels his feelings. Yeah. Which to me was, that's just a more honest way to communicate. But we're not able to do that. We can't push our feelings into someone else. All we have are our words. And so in choosing a career that deals with words and talks about grief, I have to be very careful in how i approach it um i don't know if that answered your question at all (laughs) well yeah no it's good it's good to get perspective you know i found that you know that people have i think people have a preset idea about what grief is and and then they have they put expectations on themselves or there's expectations put on them and and in my experiences uh, there's no time limit on grief sometimes it's days sometimes it just never ends um right so that's you know that's kind of my take on it i i one more thing i'd like to touch on um is you know it, hearing you talk and hearing you know about the way you deal with people and people approaching you um and you know your experiences um you know with recognizing your thoughts um did you do you feel like there was a point where you started getting more control 
over your thoughts or understanding your thoughts or changing your thoughts around, you know, negative thinking or negative feelings that you're having? You know, I, I would love to say that, you know, in practice, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it's a much more complicated answer than that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, you hear that expression all the time. It's like people that give advice can never seem to take their own. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of true in a way. Cause in, you know, there's a lot of times that, you know, I'll write about something and this is how I'm getting over it. Um, right. but <laughs> what I've written, it, it was the process of writing it that got me over not not the words themselves it was the sort of like the mountain that i was climbing you know when i got to the other side of it when i was and able to finally nail it to the page so it wasn't necessarily how i laid the words down it was getting over those words if that makes sense to you that makes sense i mean it, I, I take it it goes beyond just you know feeling good about yourself because you have a sense of accomplishment you know you've you've yeah. created something, but it sounds like it goes beyond that. Well, it's one of the things that I learned in dealing with depression is, you know, when I'm really in it, I need to find a project, whether that's, you know, uh, writing something or whether that's something else artistic, like building a birdhouse or, you know, a table or, or whatever it is. It's, it, there's something that, yeah, can, can be very freeing in, in accomplishing something and leaving it, leaving it there as sort of a place marker. I don't want to say a headstone because I don't think that's ever what mm -hmm. it was, but maybe like a cairn that shows you yeah. here's the distance that I've traveled with this. You know, there was a, there was a school on the Island. Um, this was years ago. Now GP Vanier, they'd had a number of suicides uh, mm -hmm. students in the school and I had just been through there and the principal wrote me and asked me, Hey, would you be able to work with our students on some level to create something to help them deal with this? Because everybody in the community is kind of going through this. And this was a, this is towards like when I was first starting off, it's how the piece uh, instructions for a bad day came about. Oh, really? Wow. You know, I wrote yeah. the piece and then it was amazing to see community in action because all I did was write a poem, but then there were people like Corwin Fox who came in and worked with the music, the choir from the school who came in to sing the voices, um, the students in the school who filmed a video for it. You know, there was all of this going on around it. And I think together we were able to create something that let us put a marker on top of that moment. Not, not to say that it was ended, but that we're not going to forget it that we went through it together and that's why it remains. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. It must be something uh, having that collaborative process. Oh, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do is working creatively with other people. And you get that sort of, you know, that, that full on lightning storm that starts to happen and, you know, touches down in the weirdest places, but then it all comes together and, and works together. I, I love that. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you, Shane, for briefly collaborating with me today and taking the time to uh, to share your experience with me. Um, I just like everybody to know that shanekoizen.com uh, is where you can go to learn more about Shane. And uh, Shane, thanks so much. Uh, good luck in the future. I'm looking forward to going and seeing you on the stage again at Salt Spring Island. 
Thank you so much. Hopefully it comes around sooner than later. It will. It will. Take care, Shane. Take care. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.